0: good job as always. I told Tim earlier that I would only be surprised if he didn't do a good job. I appreciate him so much. And Pastor Mercer, thank you for asking me to be here on this special occasion. Thank you for your gifts to missions around the world, including our association. And at the end of the service, as Pastor mentioned, we're going to have a deacon ordination service. Now, some of you may not know what that is. You'll learn about it today. Uh, Pastor, I heard about a revival meeting years ago and uh, a, young, a young guy had been saved. He didn't have any church background at all. And so the evangelist was giving an invitation for people to trust Jesus. And he turned to the man next to him and he said, sir, don't you want to be saved? He said, son, I'm an ordained deacon. He said, I don't care what you've done. Jesus will save you. <laughs> well, you're gonna learn more about what an ordained deacon is. But before that, we're gonna just talk about serving the Lord. And I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. It'll be on the screen for you as well. But it's always good to look along in a copy, your copy of the scriptures, whether it's electronic or on paper. And uh, I wanna tell you this title, and I mean it. I wanna talk about the greatness of serving Jesus. The greatness of serving our Lord Jesus. To serve the Lord Jesus out of gratitude for what he has done is the greatest privilege in this earth. It's the greatest, it's the greatest calling. And if there were a coin if there were a coin that said on one side, serve the Lord, if you turned it over, it would inevitably say leadership in the Lord's service as the Lord leads you because the, the two always go together. Now, Often people don't serve the Lord and the reasons are many and sometimes easy to find. But serving the Lord in your church, sometimes we get too busy and we uh, just get busy about lesser things. But also... Sometimes on the other extreme, we might over-spiritualize it. I don't know how many times, as a minister of the gospel for almost 40 years, I've had people. They, they say they want to know what what the will of God for their life is, and, and there are some things laid out in Scripture that if you're doing those things, you can probably fall into the rest of it. But they want to know what the will of God is, and and sometimes they'll they'll overthink it or over-spiritualize it, and uh, and then what they're really wanting to do sometimes though is they really just want to hold veto power over what the Lord wants them to do. In other words, God, lay it all out here and I'll examine it and I'll decide if I want to do it. Now, I'm here today to tell you, you want to put your yes on the table at the beginning as a Christian in serving the Lord. You ask me for the will of God and I will tell you true. It's the very next thing that you can do that God will do through you. Now, God has two plans for for service. It's kind of like the two plans for humility. One is you volunteer for it and the other you get drafted into it. Now I highly recommend the first one, amen. Even Jesus said more than once, the Bible says more than once to humble yourselves uh, in the the sight of the Lord. We're we're, we're invited to do that. So that children's ministry that was mentioned earlier, the joy ministry, that class, that opportunity may even seem something mundane or not that important that you've been asked to do, that assignment. Don't let selfishness cause you to miss it. Don't let over spiritualizing of it cause you to miss it. Sometimes we just need to do the next thing and sometimes that comes to us by request from another person. Now we shouldn't be surprised at that. What was the greatest thing God ever did? He came in the person of Jesus Christ. So God will continue through other people in whom he lives to make requests to call on us not just to be saved, but to serving. And I want to begin this morning in this passage here after we quote one other words of Jesus, talk about a servant's calling, a servant's calling. When I was growing up down in Kissimmee, sometimes if someone would do something kind of extra good or extra special, maybe extra spiritual, teach, preach, or lead a group or, or whatever, they'd say, you've got a calling. Oh, you've got a calling. And uh, that may or may not have been the case from the Lord, but they would say that. And uh, I want to tell you, first of all, I want to look at this calling in the truth about Jesus, in the truth about our Savior. Jesus said this in Matthew 20, 28, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Philippians 2 clearly tells us that Jesus took upon himself the form of a servant. Now, I try to think of different ways to say this, and this is maybe better than I said it in the first service. Uh, If we'll do this three or four more times today, I'll get it right. (laughs) But uh, have you ever thought about it this way? Jesus submitted himself to our need for salvation, and he served up salvation for us. Jesus is the greatest servant leader of all time. He gave his life for us. You see, if you and I have a servant's heart, if we have a heart for others that's not self-centered, like I'll do something for you if you do something for me, others will never be without a job. A dear friend of mine and of your pastors as well is uh, Brother Johnny Hunt, the pastor of First Baptist Church of Woodstock. On more than one occasion, he's told about how when he was asked, Brother Johnny, what do you want on your tombstone? You know what he said? One word, others. One word, others. And I can testify that that he lives that. His life is about others. I'll tell you this about Johnny. He does not have a people person personality, but he's a people person because he cares about others. So we see the truth in our Savior, but I also want us to look at this passage and see the truth in ourselves. Look in First Corinthians now, chapter one, beginning with verse 26. First Corinthians chapter one, beginning in verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, that's according to human ability. Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. and sanctification and redemption and he closes the chapter by saying that it is written let him who glories or him who brags him who boasts boast in the Lord now I want to take just a moment to tell you something about myself that I don't usually share Maybe I'm going to do that twice today but um, about my calling into ministry and I don't mean to say that when you use the word calling it's got to be to preach the gospel like your pastor does and like I do uh, but I'm just going to use that as an example to tell you and uh, not proudly so to tell you of my reluctance on getting in the ministry when I was in seventh grade in the youth group on our Sunday night meetings we had a uh, we had a, a, a format where we uh, someone was chosen to stand and read a scripture Now I was in the seventh grade and the junior high and high school were both there and you know, the senior high guys were there and the football players, and they were kind of idols to me at that time. And, and, uh, and I was asked to read a Psalm and it wasn't even a long Psalm. And I want you to know, I, I, I was painfully shy then, but you know, they, they wanted me to do it. So I said, I would, and I practiced and practiced on the Psalm. They gave you some warning and I got up there and I started stumbling over the words and I got nervous And I got tongue-tied and I couldn't even finish reading the psalm. I sat down in the front row, hoping no one saw the tears rolling down my cheeks. I was so embarrassed and I thought whatever it takes, this public speaking deal, I'm gonna do everything I can to get out of it. I am not doing this again and here I stand. Anyway, uh, but I was reluctant and I continued in that reluctance Constantly looking, and, and and I wasn't saved then. I came to know the Lord right after high school, and and so I continued to. I got saved. I wanted to serve the Lord, and but I would look for anything I way I could serve the Lord that didn't involve speaking, and I would even go to my pastor down at First Baptist Kissimmee, Harold Epperson at the time, and I'd say, Pastor Epperson, now he kind of tricked me. I said. If the Lord's working on you to serve him, if the Lord's calling you to serve him, what is there to do besides preach? <laughs> he, every time he said, oh, that's pretty much it. <laughs> well, th- well it, of course that wasn't it, but he knew that God was, God was after me for that specific thing. And so he, he and some other of the deacons, uh, we went over to the State Evangelism Conference over in Tampa, Florida. And uh, speaking were Stephen Olford and S.M. Lockridge and Adrian Rogers. And, uh, and God had been after me for a while, and I, I needed to surrender to preach the gospel. I was fighting God about it. And, and I, I wish I hadn't. I wish I'd just gone more with the attitude I have now of not I have to serve Jesus. I get to serve Jesus. I get to serve the one who died to pay for my sins. And, and I made a, a, a very emotional and serious surrender to, to preach the gospel. But I, I was reluctant about that. I, I, I really, really was. But one of the passages that was preached there at that conference was this passage that I've just read about who God calls. See, I thought I had to be something so that God would call me. And he wanted me to be nothing so he could use me. Let me tell you something you're not going to find in the Bible. And if anybody says anything like this, they're not telling you the truth. Jesus never said it or would say it. You're never going to find Jesus saying, trust me follow me, confess me as Lord and do not serve me. You'll never hear that because that's not what's in the Bible. As a matter of fact, the opposite of that, Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you to be involved in the work of eternity and bringing people to to faith in me. And so our responsibility is to follow. And he said he'll make us to be fishers of men. You see, to serve Jesus is always going to involve leading because it involves leading by example. Now I want us to examine here what's said in this passage about who God calls and who God uses. Now you, you could ask this question. When he says in verse 26, for you see your calling brethren, and you can say, well, is he talking about, even though he's talking to Christians, is he talking about your calling to come to Christ, to be, to be saved? Or is he talking about your calling to serve? And I want to tell you, the answer is yes. Because one leads to the other. But who, who's he looking at here? What, it is, what is it that God sees in us that he'd want to call us? Well, it's what he doesn't see in us, more to the point. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, according to human, human wisdom. Now, thank God he doesn't say not any wise people are called. I thank God for the scholars that have gone before me and those that can, that can break down the Hebrew and Greek far better than I will ever be able to do, and that I can stand on their shoulders, as it were, and even, even preach to you today. So I thank God for those, but generally speaking, that's not the case. Not many of those are going to be called into his service here. So I'm not asking you today, are you wise enough to serve Jesus? I'm asking you today, are you willing to serve the Lord Jesus? He goes on to say in verse 26, not many mighty. Sometimes you feel like, well, I'm not strong enough in my faith, or I'm not, I'm not consistent enough. God's not looking for someone who, who is mighty and strong in faith. He's just looking for someone who says, I'll follow you, Lord, wherever it leads. And then he goes on to say, not many noble are called. You say, well, I'm not from famous people. My, I came from nothing and pretty much still am. And we understand those things. God's not looking for nobility. My father, in his later years, he was a building contractor, built residential homes. He, um, he became a really good genealogist, and he wanted to uh, he wanted to see where our family background was. And he got it back, and this was just when computers were just starting. He got it all the way back to England and France and in, in the 1500s, and he, he did quite amazing work at it, really. But I kept telling him, I said, now, Dad, I know where we came from. We came from a failed farmer named Adam and a boat builder named Noah. He said, I know some, but I'm just trying to fill in some of the details. But you know, so what if you found someone famous in your background? That might not be, it, it, would, it wouldn't matter to you. As a matter of fact, it could even be a stumbling block. I, I heard about a, a family that hired, and they were rather prideful, they hired an attorney to do their family genealogy for them and then presented, because they were just sure they were gonna find all these famous people and these wonderful things. And uh, he found one of their named known, known relatives, that was hung on a gallows we didn't want to tell him that so he put in the report that your great-great-grandfather was standing on a platform when it suddenly gave way (laughs) well listen i'm here to tell you according to the word of god it's not about where you came from or what someone did before you got there or or that that you're starting from way back he said i'm I'm not i'm not looking for the noble not many of them are called But then he elaborates on it, kind of turns it around in verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. Now, why does God do it that way? Verse 29 gives us the answer that no flesh can glory in his presence. It's the same theology if you will it's the same mentality from God that says for by grace are you say through faith and that not of yourselves it's the gift of God not of works lest anyone should boast there's no boasting in this him who boasts the Bible says let him boast in the Lord now let me let me just do a little bit of uh wrap up on this part and then and then kind of a survey because some of you might be thinking, "Well, hey, so far I, I'm more qualified than I thought. I feel foolish sometimes. I'm not as smart as I'd like to be. I'm not as strong as I'd like to be. I have felt low down, and I have been despised." And then, but some of you say, "Oh, it's worse than that. People don't even know I exist." It's kind of how you feel when you drive on I four, if you know what I mean. They just don't. They don't see you. You just don't show up. And that's what he says here at the end of the verse when he says. Uh, The things which are not, the things which people the world doesn't even take notice of, God uses to bring glory to himself if we will serve him. Now, let me do this survey. I've talked about humility, and I'll say another word about it in a moment. But I want you to to raise your hand if if you fit what I'm describing, if you qualify. Don't don't be overly modest. Just raise your hand. How many of you were ever on the honor roll in school? All right, raise your hand. Okay, good, good. What's a smart bunch here, Dwayne? really is. How many of you ever got a scholarship? A partial scholarship, full scholarship? Okay, and you're grateful. All right, how many of you ever, Phi Beta Kappa? We had some in the first service. Surely we've got some here. Okay, all right. In sports, all conference. Anybody? All state. All American. Anybody? Okay. Now I've got an announcement to make. God can use you too. <laughs> He's just going to have to work a little longer at it. Because sometimes our accolades, although they may be well-deserved, can actually get in the way. Sometimes they'll even make us to say, well, I want to serve in this way. I think I ought to be asked to do this thing or that thing. Y'all, that is not humility, that's pride. And God has already said, I'm, I'm looking for the foolish things. And I'm looking for the weak things. And I'm looking for the things that are not noble. I'm looking for the people that, are, that, are, that have been despised and the people that haven't even been noticed, the, the little nobodies. That's who I'm looking for, to serve me. You see, until you and I are humble enough to serve in whatever way God puts before us, we're not really ready to serve at all. In that passage I read earlier of the words of Jesus, before that he said in Matthew 20, "Yet it, let it not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Now, we, we approach that backwards in other areas of life. In other words, we say, I want to be great, so I'm going to try to be great. Jesus says, you want to be great? Work at being small. You want to be great? Work at, Humble yourself. He said, whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your bond slave. i want to give you a couple of examples, from, <clears throat> one from the scripture and one that you could participate in. Uh, now, there's a man in the book of Judges named Gideon. Now, i got to tell you about the book of Judges. Last time I was here in March, I preached from Samson at the book of Judges. The book of Judges is probably uno, numero uno book that you should be careful about taking a proof text out of it. Because the theme that runs all the way through the book is every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And so, it's, so you gotta be careful and contextualize things. But Gideon was working farm work on his family farm, and he was doing the farm work in a place you don't normally do it. He was, he was doing it in a hidden place so that the Midianites wouldn't come and get all, all the crops that they had worked for. And so the angel of the Lord appeared to him and here's this very unassuming, out of the way, out of sight guy. He qualified for all the things we just read. And the angel of the Lord says, Hail Gideon, mighty man of valor. Now, that was a prophetic word if there ever was one, because he was looking around, You must not mean me. There must be another Gideon here. And it was him. So he begins to argue with the Lord about why he can't serve. Him. God's plan was for Gideon to deliver Israel from the Midianites who had them enslaved. And so he begins to argue and he said, look, Lord, he said, we're the Israelites, we're the oppressed ones here. We're the minority here. And then he said, on top of that, I'm from the tribe of Manasseh, Manasseh. We live on two sides of the river. We're not even united. And he said, and then of all the tribes in Manasseh, my family's not very famous. And of all the people in my family, I'm the runt of the litter. He had every excuse he could possibly give for why he couldn't serve the Lord in the way the Lord wanted him to serve him. And then uh, the story goes on where he had some, where he put out some tests and some fleece because even though he said, Lord, this is what you said to do, but I'm going to just make you prove it to me again. And so the Lord kind of walked him through it because he was so reluctant. But in the end of the story, what happened was, Gideon was actually able to inspire an entire army. Now watch this, going back to this passage, an entire army to defeat the Midianites, but guess what? God gave him a test and he said, anybody who do not really wanna do this, go home. And then he took them down to the water and if they lapped water in, in a way where they just got down on their hands and knees and lapped the water, where they weren't watching out for what they're doing, they got sent home. But if they lapped the water like this, where they were watching out for uh, the enemy, then they were chosen. So he had this mighty army and God reduced it down to 300. And they supernaturally defeated the enemy. You know why God did it that way? That no flesh should glory in his presence. He even says, he says, because I don't want Israel to take credit for this victory. But I want to give you another example. A couple that I know, they live in a very humble house up uh, near Hawthorne in Gainesville, Florida. And uh, they work with a group called International Commission. And they just decided they got to, they, they, they were in the middle of life, just doing everything that we all do. And they just decided they wanted to do something that counted for eternity, And so they got affiliated with International Commission. And what that group is one of the ones that our association partners with, many of our people have gone on their mission trips. But they do evangelistic mission trips and they specifically do them in places where we have our IMB, International Mission Board missionaries. And in a few years, they have led mission trips where thousands of people came to the Lord. It's a very wonderful but unassuming couple that just decided, God, can you use me And he can, they were humble enough for God to use because God said this, I resist the proud, not just pride, the proud, the person. I resist the proud, but give grace to the humble. And I want to tell you today, the greatest quality to have, that the grace of God might flow in and through your life for living and serving and leading is humility. It's humility. It's the centerpiece of the gospel. To put it in short form, Jesus humbled himself and went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He humbled himself to go to the cross and we humble ourselves to come to the cross to experience that salvation. So I wanted to break it out for you about the servant's calling, seen in Christ and then seen in us. But also I wanna talk about a servant's confirmation. A servant's confirmation by, it goes with motive here, but I'm talking about first of all by purity. If you look in your passage in chapter one of Corinthians, verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God to serve the Lord when eternity is at stake to serve the Lord in a way that matters. You have to be lashed to the cross and you cannot be ashamed of the cross in this political season, you can see it from time to time. Folks can talk about God or religion or even Christianity, and that'll get some mileage. But when you mention Jesus, and furthermore, when you mention the cross, it is foolishness to people that don't understand, the people that the grace of God hasn't worked in their life, the people who don't want to know. It's foolishness to think that God would leave heaven and come down here, it's foolishness if you're perishing, that God would leave heaven and come down in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and go to a cruel cross and absorb the wrath on sin on himself when he had no sin of his own. It's foolishness to think that. It's it's almost a ridiculous plan, except that that's how God planned it because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And those who perish think it's foolishness, but to those who of us have been saved, it is the power of God and brings the peace of God. Now, in our purity of serving, I want to say two things, and they're going to sound like they contradict, but I, I don't think they will. Just stay with me for a moment. We always need to examine our motives. Like me, those who have been serving the Lord for a long time, we need to ask why we're doing what we're doing. And are they the reasons that we got in on serving the Lord at the beginning, still the reasons we're serving now. So we need to examine our motives, but also we need to not be the other extreme, to exa- the extreme, to examine them so much that it paralyzes us. Now you're you're hearing something else this morning. Uh, I will confess to you that I am a recovering perfectionist. Now here's what God taught me a few years ago: Jesus is perfect. But he's not a perfectionist. If he was, he wouldn't work with us because none of us are. And what I'm saying to you is simply this. Don't suffer from the paralysis of analysis to the point that you're trying to perfect yourself. I'm going to get up to a certain point and and I'll get to a certain level of maturity. and I'll get to a certain level of knowledge and then I'll serve the Lord. No, God can steer a moving vessel quite easily. And, and, and we need to be in movement, in following the Lord, in, in serving the Lord. So don't let some kind of perfectionism paralyze you, but at the same time, examine your motives. So by purity, we're confirmed in our service, but also by passion. And I just simply ask you this question. What do you care about? What are you passionate about? What is it that drives you? What, and I'm not just talking about your, your job. Let, let, let me give you this word. <clears throat> and, and I think people struggle with this. Um, because we'll typically say this, and I've said it, we'll say, well, God, and then family, and then church, and then work, or, and, we, and we, have these, we have these lists, and really, quite frankly, uh, we say God first, and yet we, we might give him a few minutes in the morning or a, a tithe on Sunday. I think a better way to look at it is Colossians 1.18. It's the motto or the verse of the seminary I went to. It says that in all things he might have preeminence, In my spiritual life, he must have preeminence. In my church life, he must have preeminence. In my family life, Jesus must have preeminence. In my work life, Jesus must have preeminence. See, I think that works a whole lot better. Just say Jesus is Lord in every area and the very center and preeminent one in my life. You see, what you care about will determine how you worship, who you worship, and where you serve. If we care about the cross, if we care about the eternal things, then we want to be involved in the eternal things. And the other things that we have to do in life will be subservient to that. Jesus even said that not a sparrow will fall to the ground, that I don't notice that the very hairs of our head are numbered. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all these things that we worry and fret about will be added unto you. Now, I don't know <clears throat> what you will remember from this sermon. I may have shared this before, Pastor, when Adrian Rogers came across the street to our seminary one time, we had a question and answer time, and they, one of the seminary students said, said, Dr. Rogers said, how many points should a good sermon have? His answer was at least one. <laughs> so I've got all these points, but the point for you today is what, 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 what's God saying to you? This could be one of them. And it's this, there are two things that are eternal. There are two things that are eternal. There are only two things in this life that are eternal, scripture and souls. The closer you are to those two things, the more likely you are to be serving God in ways that count for eternity. Scripture and souls. You see, it's heaven and hell in the balance. It's souls, it's scripture. It's telling people that they can be forgiven of all their sins forever. It's a glorious good news that we have. So we're confirmed in our service by our purity and by our passion, but also by people. We need to learn to listen to others about where we might fit, who who ask you to do this or that or the other thing and, and where you might serve. And you need to be humble enough to say, you know, I don't know if you're ready for that. I'm glad you're willing to do that. But just listen to people about where you're fit, where you're ready to serve the Lord. The Bible says that in a multitude of counselors there is, there is safety. But from this passage that we've been looking at, we could conclude this thing: God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God does not call the qualified, He qualifies the called. And how does He do this? As we learn to pray as we stay in the scripture daily, as we stay under spiritual authority, as we stay humble and willing and do the simple things that God has put before us, the, even the everyday things, being faithful in the little things, and these qualities will grow you right into many areas of service, if, if that's what you want. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, and I don't know any other way to say it, but just bluntly, if you're saved, there is an urging in your soul to serve the Lord. And you can either fight it or suppress it, or you can yield to the Lord and find where he wants you to serve. But I want to read to you just a list of uh, qualifications, character qualities, if you will, characteristics of someone who is growing into serving the Lord, a worshiper of Jesus, honesty, honesty, not a love for and a taste for the things of the world, unselfish about money, clear Bible doctrine, maturity that's proven and observable, a clear testimony of salvation, a consistent walk, not a gossip, controlled by the Lord, faithfulness at home and in church. Now. I kind of paraphrase that in a summary fashion because I want to show you something else. And as I conclude this message, I want to talk to you about a servant's characteristics. And if you'd like, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 because I'm going to read the qualities that it gives for a deacon. And I want to say a couple things about that. Now, here I'm going to read from the scripture. I want you to keep in mind the list that I just said because that's where it came from, basically. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, a worshiper, not double-tongued, honest, not given to much wine. That means not given to addictive wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. That means you know what you believe and why you believe it. But let these things also be first tested, be proven, and let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. The word deacon is one of the words for service. And what he's saying here literally is let them serve like servants, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Jesus Christ. The list that I gave you and this, they're together, they're like one. And the characteristics are enhanced by persistence, first of all, by persistence, a consistency to continue growing in these things of the Lord, persistence, but also in power. In Acts chapter 6, verse 3, when they chose the first servant leaders, uh, the, the, the word deacon is used there in, in, the, in the verb form. And here's what they said the apostles said, Look, we're, we're gonna give ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word, like your pastor does, but we need these servants. We need these special servants. And they said they need to be of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. And I want to tell you, those, those characteristics are, are, are crucial for a deacon. Now, here's the interesting thing. The passage I read from 1 Timothy, there's not anything there that's not there for, said for every Christian somewhere else in the scripture. But in deacons, in an ordained leader, there's got to be a persistence and a consistency and a consistency in the power of God. A deacon should be, their faith should be observable and and duplicatable, beyond the norm. The power of the Holy Spirit in their life would make them a witness and, and and a person that you'd want to emulate beyond just human ability. And they would have wisdom that people would want to follow and even seek after. A deacon needs to be faithful and lead those you care about and be a good example to those who care about you. Now, let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want to uh, just wrap it up on two, on two tracks. Now, I asked you to bow your head and close your eyes so you can concentrate. And here's what I'm asking you to do. Here is what God sent me here to do. Here's what the pastor, when he asked me to preach, and this, this message came to my heart. Here's what I knew God wanted me to do in this moment. I want everyone in my desires that everyone in here would say, yes, Lord Jesus. First of all, for those of you who know that you've been born again, I mean, you have repented of your sin. You've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus. You know that your sin separated you from God But he's forgiven that sin by his work at the cross. Justified you by his resurrection. I mean, you're saved. Then I want you to say, yes, Lord Jesus. To continue serving. Maybe you've been struggling about, is this what God wants me to keep doing? Say, yes, Lord. My yes is on the table, whatever it will be. Some of you need to step up. Your church has needs because God's called this church to reach here and around the world. And you need to be part of it. And some of you just need to say, yes, Lord, I'll serve. And see one of the pastors about where you can serve. They'll be able to direct you. But some of you, you haven't said the initial yes to the calling of Jesus. You may be a church member here somewhere else. You may be uh, just thinking about these things. Or you may have known for some time that you're not. your relationship with Jesus is not permanent. It's kind of a come-and-go thing. Listen, friend, eternity is a long time to be wrong. I want you to say yes, Lord Jesus, today concerning your salvation. Please, for Jesus' sake, say yes, Lord. Now, I'm going to pray in a moment. Before I pray, I just want to say this. Our pastors are going to be standing down here to receive you there's a card near you in the pew. On that card, you could fill it out and you could indicate you're surrendering your life to the Lord today, or what kind of service that you would be interested in in pursuing. And they'll work with you on that. They're set up to do that. Now I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a very special moment of worship where we say yes to the Lord. Father, oh Father, I want to stand here as a testimony today and say thank you that you didn't give up on me and you saved me and that you didn't give up on me and you called me to serve you when I was really fighting it, Lord. And I pray, dear God, that you would uh, call many here today to serve us and make it very soon very clear if it's not already. But Lord, I pray for those who are a heartbeat from hell it's they' turn, repent of their sins and say, "Yes, Lord, I'm coming to you. Forgive me, Save me, Lord Jesus." I pray that you would move in this moment so that people would say, "Yes, Lord, Jesus. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.